Hello, we would like to welcome you to another episode of Reading Across the Curriculum, a book talk series on our Changemaker Conversations in Education podcast channel of the Alberta Regional Professional Development Consortia, or ARPDC. I'm Rick Gilson, Executive Director of the Southern Alberta Regional Office of ARPDC, and my co-host in this series is the amazing Charlie Craig, now with the Central Alberta Regional Consortia Office. I would like to acknowledge that we are coming to you from Alberta, which is the traditional lands of the Cree, the Blackfoot, the Tsutina, the um, Sixka, and uh, as well as the Métis lands of uh, Métis Region 3 and 4. Alberta spans, in fact, treaties 6, 7, 8, and little portions of 4 and 10. That's all the land, but that's not really the story. And for ourselves, as we reflect on it, we like to reflect on the notion that there is great honor and our lives are richly blessed when we consider the teachings of those who have walked the land before us and, and acknowledge that there were people here before any of us settlers arrived who had rich lives, traditions and practices and languages and we all benefit greatly by learning with and from them. And that's the privilege that is ours, and we need to embrace that privilege. Today, we are joined by Dr. Christy Pretty fontzak and oh, I sure hope I said that right. Did I get that right? I got yes. that right. Yes. Beautiful. <laughs> and Dr. Julie Costin from the Inclusive Schooling. And we're going to take a little bit of a different approach. We are going to talk about a couple of books, no two ways about it, because that's what we do. But we are also going to discuss an amazing opportunity uh, that they have brought forward for Alberta teachers to participate in, and indeed teachers all over North America. And we're going to talk about the importance of inclusive education and what that might mean and how we can all do a little better job uh, of supporting all students. I love the word all. Charlie loves the word all. And, and we go from there. Charlie, how about you introduce Christian and I'll introduce Julie. All righty. Uh, Christy is a highly sought after speaker, accomplished author, and I love this, educator's educator. She began her early career as an early interventionist and then spent 16 years as a tenured professor at Kent State University. Since 2013, she has followed her true passion for designing and delivering transformative professional development. As a result, she has accumulated over 50,000 hours of helping educators and leaders work from a place of compassion, hope, and love in locations from Cincinnati to Singapore, and now Alberta. Well, we've been richly blessed to work with uh, Christy and Julie in bringing some of the work here before, and um, our best, our other best-selling author and that's how I first came to know Julie, was uh, one of her early books. Inspiring speaker and inclusion advocate, Dr. Julie Costin began her career as an educator, awesome, and then 14 years as a tenured professor at Syracuse University, go Orangeman. In 2012, she founded Inclusive Schooling, a premier company solely devoted to delivering professional development, which transforms schools and lives. She has spent the past 25 years nearly obsessed with discovering innovative practices and teaching others about inclusive education through her wildly engaging presentations, several of which you can find online on YouTube, and they are indeed awesome, and we're happy to spend some time together today. So, welcome, ladies, all-stars, and authors together on a brand new book that was just released in April of 2023, The Way to Inclusion. We may talk or hear a little bit about that shortly. Charlie, first question to you. All right, we're gonna start with the easiest of questions first, ladies. Right. <laughs> what are you currently reading? Oh, I like this question. <laughs> Christy, can I start? Favorite. Yeah, and truth be told, we had to prepare for this question. So I'm a little bit worried that it's the earliest and easiest. But yes, Julie, <laughs> you start. 
Yeah, we had to prepare. We had to go upstairs to our bedroom and look at our nightstands and see what the actual author was of the books that we're reading right now. So I'll start with Remarkably Bright Creatures is a book that I'm reading right now. Oh, Charlie, have you read it? Love it. It's one of my like current recommendations for people. Okay. So, so good. Yeah. And I'll just give a teeny synopsis to say that um, it kind of toggles between an octopus who lives in an aquarium and he speaks for himself about his experience and uh, the person who cleans the aquarium and her life. And um, it's pretty and all the things I'm not done. So all the aspects are coming together as all good books do. Um, and so that is by Shelby Van Pelt. And Christy, I'm going to let you talk about our other favorite books. So I'm just going to leave it. Yeah, but you keep going. Okay. Um, I'm also reading a book by Pema Children. Um, it's a nonfiction book called Living Beautifully with Uncertainty and Change. I happen to love all things Pema Children. And I also love when she reads her own audiobooks because um, it relaxes my entire soul is the best way to say it. And um, because we're going to talk about sort of broad ideas around literacy. We wanted to share some podcasts too that we listen to. So I listen to Rob Bell's podcast and Super Soul Sunday. That's my jam. Love it. <laughs> yeah. So um, Julie already alluded to that we have a broad definition of literacy and enjoyment about learning through um, spoken and written word. And so my fiction uh, that I just finished was American Dirt. Uh, give it 10 stars or two thumbs up, however you do that. Um, the nonfiction book I'm reading is um, con uh, Connections Over Compliance. And then I just started The Patriarchs, The Origins of Inequality, um, particularly around the identity of gender. And so um, that one uh, I find to be fascinating. And because Julie has a superpower of ADHD and my niece has ADHD and my mom self-diagnosed herself with ADHD, uh, I'm reading Scattered Minds. So that's my nonfiction. Um, I'm reading a biography uh, on Julia Child and uh, any podcast that has to do with functional health, I probably am listening to. So that's my list. Have you read the uh, Invisible Women Data Bias in a World Designed for Men? No. Oh, it's quite what? good. Um, it, it, well, the first line in, in the Goodreads review is this is an infuriating book. It is an infuriating book because you read it and you're like, are you kidding me? And then you keep reading it and you're like, are you kidding me? Like it just layers upon layers. Um, yeah, just lots of moments that make you pause. Um, and yeah, exactly. Rick say, wait, what? Um, <laughs> you know, Charlie, I felt the same exact way um, reading a true history of the United States. Um, the subtitle is Indigenous Genocide, uh, Racialized Slavery, Slavery, excuse me, Hypercapitalism and on and on. So I that was the same thing. It's like, are you are you? Yeah. Mm. Um, go ahead, Rick. Which certainly takes us back to the Canadian version of that, Christy and Julie. This one right here called Valley of the Bird Tail. Yes. Uh, this did is a podcast on that. That's right. We our first podcast and, and definitely a wait what kind <laughs> of book all the way through. So, I, I would um, also say an Indigenous people's history of the United States uh, transcends just the what we know of as the United States today uh, and does talk about Canada and Mexico as North America to begin with. So those are those are good ones. Yeah, that one's in my tea, like to be read pile. Yes, um, for sure. Appreciate it's and is well read. Uh, this book, it's called What Are Little Girls Made Of? Nursery Rhymes to Empower Young Feminists. Oh. And so they're nursery rhymes rewritten. Um, in the style of like you go girl it's quite mm. love they're quite lovely um i wanted to mention to you ladies it, mm. it it just so happens in the spirit of inclusion um but one of our previous guests naval caroni recommended this book uh true biz by sarah novick 
And um, it is a story centered around uh, deaf adolescents and mm. differences in the deaf community. And interestingly enough, it's an example of, of a hybrid text. And so you have fiction happening and then there's a little break and it teaches you some ASL and it teaches you some mm. history around um, how deaf folks were treated and continue to be treated. Um, and then we go back into fiction. So it's an example of a, of a hybrid text. So that might be one you want to add to your. For sure. 1000%. Thank you. I mean, like yeah. we could just do this all day. Is that, is that what the podcast we can do? <laughs> is just like, Sometimes that, and, and if we had a sound effect on our Amazon app, while we were talking, you'd be like, ding, ding, yeah. There, there is good point. That. Good. My Amazon carts getting filled as we go. Yeah, it's just the, it it's just the... we need some kind of a warning or like either a warning or a sponsorship situation. Um, but I've yet to leave any one of these without like packages oh. arriving. Well, and after. I should say we um I also try to um go to my public library and get some of these books. I enjoy reading large print these days. I accidentally got American Dirt in large print and I found it to be super helpful at night when I wanted to read a book. So that was cool. And um, also local booksellers uh, have most of these books as well. Very good plug there. Well done. Very well done. Um, <laughs> I have to, uh, it was mostly to remind myself because it's just <laughs> too easy, you know? It is. It is yeah. so easy. And, and I admit, I love having all my books on my phone for when yeah. I'm in a conversation with somebody. So as you can see over my shoulder, I tend to end up with a Kindle version and a print version on yes. a, a number of books. Um, my contribution would be from the past, uh, most recent episode that went out too, in terms of Clint Smith's book, How the Word is Passed, mm. is stunning and painful to read. Mm. And and it is a look at the history of slavery through his visits to a number of plantations, okay. starting with Monticello, mm. and and uh, everything Thomas Jefferson. Holy cow! It, yeah. it just yikes, you know. So there, no, there it's necessary. So thank you. Yeah, just and and so beautifully written, Clint. I had not heard of before, and I picked up his two poetry books he recommended as well. And there's so many times that I've taken a little passage from uh, how the word is passed and sent it to my uh, son who teaches English and say, this is just beautiful mentor text. Like, mm. just look at how this is written. But so there, there we go that, that way. Fantastic. A lot of great books. Our listeners, hey, there you go. You got a whole nother section. And there may be some others that come up uh, as we go. Um, Ladies, could you tell us a little bit about how you developed how uh, your definition of inclusive education and how you've come to this? And I know for sure it's a passion and uh, it's one that I share. I'd, I'd love, love to invite you to share your definition of inclusive education, what you're driving for uh, as, a, as a company, but as individuals. Mm -hmm. I love the invitation um, as individuals, probably is a good way to start. So Christy and I spent each 25 plus years in school systems, really looking or um, watching, researching, supporting, figuring out, working side by side with educators, training, et cetera, folks about inclusive education. And this definition was so fun to write together because the two of us took our individual ideas and said, now that we're joining forces through inclusive schooling, uh, what would be our common definition? Um, so Christy, is there anything else you wanna say from an individual lens and then we can talk about the definition? I guess uh, what I find as, you, as you, we introduce you to our definition is um, it's about three years old now, Julie, maybe not quite that. And I find, Every time, because Julie does the read-alouds, uh, which we can talk about uh, why that is down the road. Um, every time I feel something different, I hear something different. 
Um, at times I wonder if something is missing, but then um, with greater reflection and conversation, it continues to serve me. So I hope that uh, as we share it with your listeners, it's something that um, gives them a common place to start from, but certainly to adapt in ways that inspire them. But for me and for my work with Julie, we almost always start with this definition and it just sort of reignites my my personal why. It it grounds me and uh, really sets forth everything we're about to do. So I'm just happy that it serves us so well, Julie. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll put a link to it in the show notes so that folks can download it and print it or keep it on their device. Do you, do you want us to do a read aloud, Charlie and Rick? I, I do. I, I would love okay. for that to be there. And then people can look at the text and, and hear your voices and yeah. feel that. Okay, yeah, so the backstory while Julie's opening it up is that um, in the third grade, um, I was put in a low reading track, but I was very aware of it. Like it was all colors and I knew that my color wasn't the highest color. And um, one thing I've been combating uh partially out of the white dominant culture is perfectionism. But even as a third grader, I had this idea that I had to be the perfect reader. So I got, I created the storyline in my mind that I don't read well and I don't read well out loud. But then I, I accumulated plenty of evidence that I read well, but still not out loud. So we always ask Julie to read out loud. And then she's very kind because at times she'll say, Christy, do you feel like reading part of it today? And I get to choose if I feel brave that day or if I'm like, no, nope, you got it. So do you need help, Julie? You got it. I need help, Christy. So okay, I can't no find it. I should have but, asked that first. No, that's okay. But as Christy says that there's something else really important to hear in that we at inclusive schooling think a lot about who's considered literate and what literate means, who's given access to literacy and the ways we sort and separate human beings based on their strengths, gifts, talents, and deficits can cause some actual long-term psychological harm that we have to name because Christy's kind of like just mentioning, you know, huh, I'm still at age 50, really struggling with my identity as a reader. And, um, and she says, despite all sorts of evidence, I still need support around that, that idea. Well, that's just what we do in school systems when we sort, separate, segregate, and remediate we cause that harm. So uh, I just wanted to add Christy to your story, not to say that you're a harmed individual, but to say that we as educators have to actually pay attention to um, our decision-making and the impact it has on people's lives. Okay. Yeah, I got it, we're good. Uh-huh, so. Uh, Okay, so for this read aloud, I'm going to ask your listeners to just relax their bodies and just take in the words and let them kind of wash over them. And as they're listening, think of the words that really strike their hearts, their minds, their souls. Okay. Um, and at the end, maybe what we'll do is ask Charlie and Rick, if you want to share a word that really stuck out to you, that would be great. Inclusive education means we no longer accept that separate classrooms, separate schools, and separate lives are in the best interest of any student. Separating people by ability disadvantages everyone. Belonging is a human need. Our educational system, practices, and spaces need to be reimagined. Inclusive education means every student is valued because of their strengths, gifts, and even challenges, as disability is simply diversity. Everyone benefits from meaningful participation and opportunities to learn grade level content with diverse peers. We must trust that all students come to us as incredible whole people who do not need to be fixed. I just wanna hug you through the computer. I know, I wish we were in person, that'd be great. We can make that happen another time. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome.
What's your word, Charlie? Uh, I would definitely pull out belonging um, mm. as a key word there. Mm. I, I want to take a sentence, not a word. Mm. You may. Separating people by ability yes. disadvantages everyone. We all lose when one is isolated. Um, in some of the earlier books, I haven't looked at this newest one, but in some of the earliest books, Julie, your mm -hmm. your artist, the cartoonist, mm -hmm. and and I love um, the one where you know how do we get the force field down so we can free. Sam from his EA <laughs> mm. or, you know, these types of things, yes. you know, this, the, I've always believed the students get that others need and they can support that and they don't need it. I, I was fortunate enough to play a small role in making things like time a universally available accommodation without assessment in Alberta mm. <laughs> uh, in, a, in an exam setting. And uh, they actually in that, in that conversation and in that work, we got to where all of the accommodations that had been identified for examinations became available without assessments. Mm -hmm. and, we, and people actually bought into the notion that students will only take what they actually need. If I don't need a reader, I don't want a reader. If I need a reader, then I need a reader. If I, you know, et cetera. And it, and it has worked. Um, but of course it doesn't stop there. And so this is, this is beautiful and reminds me of some of the things I've heard in some of your other sessions. Mm -hmm. And uh, as well for all of us listening, you know, the idea that, Christy, you as an incredibly accomplished individual had these experiences at the beginning. And I'm a firm believer in trajectory. Mm. And, and so other things came into your life to bump your trajectory. And that doesn't mean that they eliminated the trajectory impacting events that happened earlier. It, it means, wow, think of how much potential is still there as you continue to be positively impacted. And the sooner we positively impact trajectory, the sooner we limit the negative impacts that come to trajectory, that come from traditional interpretations of what we should do with someone that's not like fill in the blank. We've already discussed this with our little book buying binge that we did here a few minutes ago um but you know that this podcast is about reading across across the curriculum um and i like this idea of um stretching and pushing against what we might typically think is reading um and i would like to invite you to speak about really literacy or accessing text um, through this lens of inclusion, through this definition that you've talked about. Um, because sometimes, in my experience, the shift isn't a big one. No, it's not. And I would just start with access points. And Christy, we can go beyond that if you want. But uh, what we tend to ask humans to do is figure out access points. So long, long ago, we used to say, if you can't decode it, you can't learn it, right? And so a very simple, quick and easy way to start is, well, can listening work? Can that access point work? Can seeing it in a video form work? Can uh, watching it being um, a play or something that effect? And so we start to get really creative with the number of access points for any text. And what we find in the most inclusive schools and the most inclusive creative teachers are just adding access points one after another and getting really creative. And they're usually involving their students. And so they're saying to students, okay, here are three access points of the same text. What are we missing? And they'll say, oh, we simply need this, this, and this. And now everybody can really access it. And it can be as simple as um, my body positioning when I'm listening too. So it's beyond 
access points to the actual text. Um, I'll just share, Christy said uh, my superpower is ADHD, but as a, as a student in school, sitting in a desk was just about the most painful experience. And there were many, many times when, you know, it was a good eight hour sit. Right. And I knew that there were struggles ahead. Um, if, and when I fidgeted, moved, jumped around and did the things that my body was screaming to do. And so sometimes it's not just how do we help humans access text to decode? It's also how do we help humans learn in all sorts of physical forms uh, beyond just sitting at a desk or sitting crisscross applesauce or all the ways that can be quite painful for those of us. And I don't mean quite physically painful. I mean uh, something else and I can't really put words to it, but it is uh, not pleasant to be asked to sit still um, when you're someone who has this kind of superpower. So that's the start of the conversation. Christy, do you want to add to it? Well, I have like a couple of dots I'll try to connect, but they usually make sense in my head before they make sense um, out of my head. So when we think about access points, or even as we talked about literacy across the curriculum, and then even as we made book recommendations to each other, all of that is a little bit interesting in the sense of like, what I really resonate with, you could say is the best book ever. I could run out and buy it and go, what is up with Charlie? Like now, <laughs> the more we have shared values and shared experiences and shared uh, passions, the more likely we are to be like, I got to read that book. But oftentimes it's hard to make a recommendation. So I think sometimes we miss an access point by the teacher or the educator doing the selection or the media specialist, or the librarian, or the school board, or the politicians, wherever that decision mark gets made. So I think we miss an opportunity for access based on interest. Mm -hmm. Second, I would say that we um, silo it, at least in the United States, still too much, mm -hmm. meaning it's our ELA block, English language arts, or it's time for reading, or I need you all to be quiet. So go read. Like, it's like telling people to take a brain break when they don't need a brain break, but not allowing a brain break when they need one or eat now because I'm feeding you, but I'm hungry later. Too bad. It was already snack. It's the same mentality with reading that it has to be, it has to be embedded. It has to be modeled by people. I, I would say my trajectory, Rick, was enhanced only because of my mother's love of reading. And it was a reward. We had a cardboard box that we got to take to our public library and fill it with books and sit on her lap and read. And it was like the best moment, right? But that's what taught me that reading was a good thing, not what I learned in school about reading. And then the last thing I would say about access is we all too often, um, think about that it's um, children's books, let's say, because I'm early childhood. So when I saw, you know, like what, what books would I recommend, you know, that teachers have in their classrooms, I, I just sort of stepped back from it and thought, well, about access, I would love like technical manuals, Things that are about like following directions, like if you're going to put a bike together, what would be the directions or to fix a heating cooling vent? Like I would want from that to pictures to audio or like all the access points Julie said about making the content accessible in the different senses, I still want, some people love fiction, some people love nonfiction, some people love short, some people love long. And so I would love for a teacher or a team to think of that variety and then embed it across any activity, whether it's water table or math, but that it's all becomes, um, an access point to content. So, yeah. I love that. Um, and it makes me think of one of my favorite people in my life, um, but she loves to read recipe books. Yeah, like that. Relax. Yeah. And so her to be read pile is a pile of recipe books. Absolutely. I have a friend like that too, Charlie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then you take it one level 
nope, not she further, just reads but the recipe books. Hmm. She just reads them. She that's that's okay. I was going with those books that like Naval told us. Make stuff. <laughs> well, no, she doesn't. That's what I would want to do, <laughs> but my wife wouldn't. She, I, I I like cooking, so if I'm going to read, then we have them kicking around desserts. That's she loves to do those. I don't particularly like to do desserts, but I was actually thinking about uh, the earlier grade schools in Naval's collection of books that are culturally diverse mm. and involve eating and how frequently those elementary versions of those books include the recipes. Ah. So there's somebody thinking along your line. I I was thinking there's a couple of bike, there's a couple of books about riding their bike and learning to ride the bike and their dad is a mechanic. Okay. So now, now repairing the bike. Okay. Put them all in there. See the practicalities and pieces of that nature. Amazing. One of the things that that popped into mind as you were talking, so I'm a language arts teacher by trade, I guess would be the best descriptor. Um, but there is a a misconception sometimes when we look at the curriculum and some of the expectations around comprehension or recall or summarizing, um, it doesn't say in there that it has to be with a grade blank text. It's just that they have certain skills. So there has to be a certain level of complexity in the text, but it doesn't have to be a grade nine text or a grade eight text. They just have to be able to talk about X, Y, and Z. And you could probably talk about X, Y, and Z with a you know easier to read book and maybe it's on audio, right? And so we, feel like there's pieces in the expectations that actually aren't there. Um, and that sometimes is one of the, I don't know if it's the first step, but it can be an easy step. It can be an easy step. And I would say, relatedly, you know, recall is a prerequisite to comprehension. And recall from a developmental perspective has many layers that many kids have not learn those foundational skills. So it has nothing to do with reading comprehension. It has absolutely to do with executive functioning. And then on top of that, Julie and I talk a lot about if kids aren't in the zone of learning or the, we call it the green zone um, or homeostasis, that you can't access your prefrontal cortex. So accessing recall or comprehension is out because I'm not self-regulated. And so people think it's a literacy or reading specifically issue. And then we start doing all this MTSS, multi-tiered systems of support or response to intervention or tiered reading groups when really the kid is just incredibly dysregulated and needs a whole different approach. And the reading is fine. Needs to do some heavy lifting before they can come read this sentence to you. That's all. Or a little bit of breathing. A little yes. bit of something, uh, yeah. You you know, Julie, as you were describing your um, sort of ADHD self and sitting there squirming in the chair and and the whole bit. Uh, I think we all have someone in our lives that could identify as uh, from the moment they get out of bed, it's a two liter bottle of pop that starts shaking, and the pressure builds and builds and builds, and it's just a matter of when that's going to explode. Some kids can manage through school, and they explode on their loved ones when they get home to their safe environment. Some kids can't. And going up to somebody that's in the middle of exploding and telling them to calm down, that, that those words aren't even heard. You know, these these ears are not working at that time, and definitely neither is the prefrontal cortex. <laughs> so it's it's a it's a fight that's uh, that's lost. Anything else you'd like to add, Julie? I just want to say the strategies that come with all that Christy was just talking about, because I always like to uh, help people feel the hope that's po- that's possible is really uh, educators, parents, anyone working with any student anywhere. And Christy described it in her story, but she said, I got to snuggle on my mom's lap and read. And what we want to remind you um, as people who are helping uh, kids become lovers of books is to help the student feel seen, safe, soothed, and secure, the four S's. 
through your work. So Christy also mentioned self-regulation, and I'm just going to remind folks that small children can't self-regulate. The word self doesn't mean by themselves. It means they need adult humans who co-regulate them. And so I liked your examples of heavy lifting or breathing. And also don't forget that this act of being engaged with literacy can be the soothing component or your friend who reads mm -hmm. recipes. Um, if it's modeled in such a way, and if we actually attend to the regulation of all of our students, it can end up being a thing that soothes the system and keeps students from, uh, maybe they were shaking up on the bus as the, as the soda example. Um, and then they were shaking up even further on their way in, but okay, now we're spending some time together reading and connecting and we can slow the bubbles down a little bit hmm. and uh, let the pressure come down a little bit. And when I think of Julie's scenario there, I, cause I know her, it's like kids, summer reading in pairs, summer reading and acting it out. Some are in a very quiet area under the stairs with their own book and headphones. So it's not uh, everybody get your reading buddy and read to each other because that could push some kids cap right off of that bottle, but it's being sensitive to that choice is the friend of inclusion. And so when Julie talks about access points, if we're like, oh, I want reading to be a time to soothe systems, then I need to think about all my kids and think about what options can we build in? And then maybe even a fourth option, if you're not ready to read and be quiet right now, where's a place where you can move or be loud? Um, which is contrary to kind of whole group instruction that we see prevalent in the United States. But so vital and necessary if we're going to get out of this box that I have 25 grade threes and they're all going to behave this way. At this time for this long. <laughs> at, at this time for this long, yes. We will all sit still. Yeah, no, it that's 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 an entirely teacher-centric hope that you're 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 believing false doctrine. You probably shouldn't do that. You're gonna be disappointed a lot. Mm. It's a little bit better to just believe you got 25 and all 25 are different and it's okay. Uh, give them some regions to work with, as you say, some variety, some choice. And as adults, uh, as you were talking earlier about, you know, you need to be able to read this way, or you need to be able to do do it that way. I was reminded of a, another book, uh, Edo in Autism Land, um, and how his father, a severely autistic student who came to discover that he could um, get his messages out through a little bit of a system and, and he could speak through that system. And um, it turned out he could understand everything everyone was saying the whole time. He just couldn't say it. But his dad refused to believe that he was writing, that it was his, that's not writing, that's your hand guiding the writing. And, mm -hmm. and he couldn't come to accept what was a miracle that opened up so he could literally write his own book go to university, et cetera, et cetera. But as, as parents and adults, we have to, and teachers, obviously, we, we have to provide that opportunity for something to be expressed in a way different from how we might express it, but it still has value. Yes. Can we all drop our mics right now? <laughs> Is that allowed? Do we have a sound effect for that? Yeah. <laughs> Julie, I, I would love you to follow that up with, I know it's a little bit off topic, but you know, what we talked about the other day with Michael McSheehan about how we've been just so repeatedly wrong um, about students who um, use different modes to communicate. Yeah. So, I mean, Rick, you brought up something beautiful, which is uh Christy and I, I, I like to say we have a lot of interests around uh, inclusive education, but one of our passionate, our areas of extreme passion is folks who don't use verbal speech to communicate, um, and particularly those who are labeled with the label of autism. Because, Rick, what you brought up, I love that you use the word miracle, and I'm going to say it's quite ordinary in lots of ways because we've found that students who don't use verbal speech, um, 
are most often regarded as having an intellectual disability that matches their verbal output. Mm -hmm. And in reality, they are with us every step of the way, understanding everything that's going on around them without the ability to communicate what they know. And so um, I'm just gonna, if you don't know the movie Wretches and Jabberers, it's one of my favorites. It's uh, four friends of mine that have autism uh, talking all about their experience as typers. And um, they have come together to explain to the world what's actually true about uh, folks with autism who don't use verbal communication. And um, I think it's incredibly important that as educators, that we look at our past uh, beliefs and values and thoughts about who's literate. And it's usually not folks who don't uh, have access to verbal communication. And this might be a segue or too soon, uh, but at our Summer Leadership Institute, um, we, well, in our, our work in general, um, both Julie and I use, as you can tell, a lot of verbal speech to communicate. And we use a lot of written English, of course, because that's all we can do is what the of course is. Um, but we co-teach often with students uh, with disabilities. Uh, some, of course, use identity first language and will say they're autistic. Others use person first language, so they're a student with autism. Um, and many of them, uh, Otto Lana is one of our uh, longest running co-teachers. Um, and his pronouns are he and his, and he types to communicate um, with us. Now, I'm, there's many ways he communicates, but because that's the mode that he can communicate with Julie and me, uh, he types. And so each year at the Summer Leadership Institute, we always have um, different uh, people with lived experiences particularly around this issue. Um, so Otto will be there again, along with a couple of his colleagues and friends. Uh, Jordan Zimmerman will be there this year. But last year, which was 2022, um, Judy Human, uh, who recently passed away, uh, who's like um, the mother and the queen of all things in at least, you know, from the United States centrics perspective, uh, disability rights, she and Otto, and then um, uh, Elijah, Elijah did a generational conversation uh, about rights, like, do people believe I really can communicate when I'm typing, all the way to where I have physical access to what does my school need to do to make sure I don't have a seizure during uh language arts. So that's a really fascinating conversation between the three of them because they span multiple decades and generations speaking to the same issue about is it seen, you know, as a right or rite of passage, who's typical, who's atypical, but um, just a kind of a plug for the Summer Leadership Institute, um, that if you have a passion or want to learn more about this topic of uh, different ways that people can communicate, um, I don't know, Julie, if you want to say anything else about that, but. Well, it's well. not too early to bridge okay. in there. I'll just jump in is, you know, part of the reason that we're visiting with you is because we have regions of the province that have taken on um, using your Parabytes package to support educational assistants. That's what we call them here in Alberta, as opposed right. to paraprofessionals in their uh, professional learning, as well as supporting teachers who work with those assistants in theirs. And we're seeing some tremendous work with some of the divisions that have been early adopters in that. And we're looking to expand that across the province. Uh, through ARPDC and, and and our blessed work with the two of you. And now we're looking and offering uh, an opportunity to educators and system leads, school leads across the province to look into uh, this uh, opportunity, this summer institute that has an, an entire focus uh, on inclusive education and doing it better. And we want... We wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about that. We're going to put this up uh, online uh, and and advertise uh, to that. So you feel free to go where you are moved to go to help us. 
this I feel like uh, there was an old movie where help me help you <laughs> help us help you how can we help each other um because the material is fantastic and mm. together we can work uh, on a way to get this into educators and school systems hands so that we can bless more lives that's the end product of this whole thing right mm. it, it's not for a gold star for any adult in the room it's because we, we've already graduated all of us have graduated we got a whole bunch of doctors in the room right now you know, and, and a super master there. But we've got all of these, and it's not about us. It's about those kids that are, are falling through or even not getting to the cracks, and how can we do that? So, Julie and, and Christy, just take it away. Tell us a little bit more about the Summer Leadership Institute and what you hope educators might get through May, June, by looking at what we've set up, which is a sandbox, we're calling it, of the 2022 recordings, so that people can look at it, sample it for free, courtesy of, of ARPDC, and see if this is something they would like us to try to help make possible for Alberta educators in August of 2023, and for the 2023 school year. Mm. Go. <laughs> I'm setting you free. It's beautiful. <laughs> what a good setup. So I'm just going to talk about the word sandbox for a minute because um, what Rick is sharing with you all is you have access to something for two months that you might not know you have access to. And it is, we're calling it a sandbox. Now, some of you will more, more recognize it as a website. <laughs> some of you might call it a dashboard. We're calling it a sandbox because in the spirit of it, it's to go in and sift and dig and pull and think and play and relax and see what is possible with some creativity. So this sandbox is an event that we already held. So Christy was explaining that Judy Human and Otto Lana and Elijah Armstrong are there together talking about um, ableism and talking about the history, historical concepts around inclusion, that alone is worth going and checking out. But it's not just that, it is so much more. Um, and so we can talk to you about what's in it. But I think I just wanted to start with, we offer this to you in the spirit of a sandbox, like climb in, check it out, play around. And um, see if you're interested at the end of your sandbox time with us, which is in two months, um, we're going to ask you, do you want to come to the Summer Leadership Institute this next year? Um, and that is a whole different experience. Um, but the sandbox tells you a lot about the quality of what's there and the quantity of what's there and uh, the beauty of what you'll find in the sandbox. Yeah, so I'll kind of zoom out because um, Julie has been uh, creating a sandbox, we call it the Summer Leadership Institute, for well over a decade before she and I started working together. So in the Syracuse, New York area, Julie would host the Summer Leadership Institute along with her colleagues and people from all over the world would come as a team and learn about inclusive education. And if you're like, well, what do you mean by that? We'll kind of go back to our definition. It's all the mindset, heart set, and skill set around making that definition not just performative, but actionable and that it changes the lives of children and families. So in 2020, they were set to go live again. And then the global pandemic changed things. Um, from, for some of us, we have uh, benefited from those changes. And so our goal is to pass on or pass forward those benefits that we experienced because of our uh, privilege and um, uh, just uniqueness of our circumstances. So Julie and I converted the 2020 year to a virtual event. And then we stayed virtual because we found that we can reach our friends in Alberta. See, we did it just for the Canadians. Finally, the U.S. did something for you all. And, but, and in true Canadian fashion, we say thank you. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's about time. It's about time. Um, but we have also great friends in Australia, 
and in New Zealand and in the UK. Of course, we would love to make friends in every uh, pocket of the world. And so there's a bit of a time difference issue, but the great news is that we have it live for three days, live meaning uh, virtual on Zoom, and we have a schedule, and we have amazing people that Julie can talk about. Then we record every session. And then we also have some stuff that we purposefully created to be on demand in the first place. Um, so there's already this mixture, but by the end of the Summer Leadership Institute, which in 2023 is August 7th, 8th, and 9th, everything gets converted. And so when you come to the sandbox in May and June of 2023, you will see, like Julie said, the 2022 conversion. So you will see everything that was live now recorded. And so you get to, as she said, sift and dig and sort and watch pieces and parts, knowing that all the amazing things that are going to happen in August 2023 will become a new sandbox, will become a new web page or content hub that you would then have access to for the whole next school year. And we like to say, also, we've planned your PD for you for all next year. And you can say, thank you. Um, now, <laughs> might you also need some literacy uh, PD or some EA PD? Yeah, but we have a starter of everything you might need from related service to challenging behaviors, to co-teaching, to differentiation, to structural, instructional, anything that we've kind of hinted on, we likely will cover. I don't know if that's a little too much, but that's that's what SLI, how it became this opportunity. And, and um, ARPDC's brilliant leadership and vision is like, hey, how do we bring this to everyone in the Providence at a price point that doesn't break the bank? And, you know, with the exchange rate and all of that, how do we make this doable? So that's what we're partnering on. Thank you. That, that really does hit it. As a former director of inclusive education, or as I came to say, uh, responsible for all things student, um, you know, working with and providing rich learning opportunities for people who are involved in the work. And again, especially, not yeah, especially education assistants who have not necessarily had much training beyond their life experiences. They don't. They haven't always gone through in, in in Alberta. They haven't always gone through a college program or anything like that. They're they're great golden hearted people who want to do right by kids who are struggling, and and then saying here you have free access to this. And we're seeing even in the work with the parabytes, we're seeing where divisions have added paid hours to mm -hmm. support their time working with the parabytes. Well, these are good things to do, but they're only possible because the two of you and your team have made these things available. And there's no, there's no wisdom in me, re, in, in any of us here, rebuilding the structure when you have these, these things available. And so then you look at your year and you look at the material from August, and that's why we're letting you look at last year's material. Um, now, and you look and say, okay, with things like this made available to me in August, I could anticipate on this professional learning day and this professional learning day and this 15 minutes on the monthly staff meetings, we could hit here, 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 and here, and students will benefit and nobody loses anything. And uh, so that that's it's just beautiful. I really appreciate both of you, your enthusiasm and support of this. What would be a couple of others that you would like to highlight that, that are going to be there this August? Mm, this upcoming August. Yes, this upcoming um, August. Okay, I want to start with a Canadian friend that most people when we talk about say, oh my gosh, I love her. And it's the great Dr. Shelley Moore is coming uh, again to do really important work. This year, she's doing a brand new work on um, creating, uh, she's using a garden analogy and about how to make the soil rich 
and how to make the environment rich for real growth and true growth. She's doing another thing on IEPs. And the thing is really, how do we look at every individual flower and make sure that it grows and what does it need? So that's super great. Christy and I are going to be doing several sessions, um, all on the book that, um, Rick, you brought up earlier, the way to inclusion. And so very loosely related to the book, but what it is, is we're going to give you strategies and supports so that you can help create a more inclusive school system, a more inclusive district, or a more inclusive classroom. Um, so we have, I don't know how many sessions we're doing, Christy. Um, and then Sean Ginwright, I just want to say, if you don't know who Sean Ginwright is, you might go check out, um, Brene Brown's most recent podcast with him. Um, and he's talking about how do we really look at inclusive education, uh, from a racial lens, from all sorts of different lenses. And what should we be looking at when we look in the mirror? So it's that self work that's really needed to create inclusive schools. And I was I don't know what the right word is, awestruck by his podcast. And we, I next morning was like, Christy, can we invite him? And we invited him and he said, yes. So I can't even wait for that. And then do you want to talk about Bettina Love? Because you Christy? know, I love her. If you right. don't know Dr. Bettina Love, she also has a new book out, um, Punish, Punished for Dreaming. I might not have that exactly right, but it's uh, Dr. Love and she has a new book coming out and we're giving away free e-copies of the book to many of the participants at SLI. And um, she has been with us all four years and continues to stretch us and teach us uh, around particularly um, our racial identities. And Michael McSheehan will be there talking about ableism and um, uh, behavior, uh, an off-ramp for ABA people that are ready to like approach things more humanistically. Um, I'll say a little bit more, Jillian, then you can say who's closing, uh, uh, one of the closers on Wednesday, because you've met them on Super Soul Sunday with Oprah. Julie likes to believe she was there. Um, anyway, uh, the, the Mod Squad, which we alluded to already, relate. which is Otto Lana and his colleagues, uh, will be with us again this year. And Jordan Zimmerman, um, who you can Google, and, and there's a couple of YouTubes about her story. She also types to communicate. Um, but she also does PD uh, as part of her profession. So it's very interesting. And I found out she's my neighbor. She lives about 30 minutes from me and I had no idea. So that was really cool. And then we'll have lots of panels where um, it'll be very topical. So people that are building principles could talk to each other. People who are inclusion facilitators can talk to each other, family members, things like that. Um, I don't think I missed any big ones except for the one, Julie, you can share it. Okay, so- Oprah, yeah, Oprah and Janet Mock and I sat down to have a conversation and I suspect a billion other people were there, but I'm not sure. But Janet, who was born with the name Michael, um, from a very young age, uh, knew and understood herself to be a girl. And she describes, I'll just use this one story that just stuck in my head so beautifully. She just explains the simple things that really were problematic for her as she entered school. So very first thing in kindergarten, you're supposed to put your shoes in either the boy box or the girl box. And it was really blue or pink. And every single day she would put her shoes into the girl box. And every single day she'd get in trouble for putting her shoes in the girl box. And she was told to re-put them into the boy box. And she would spend most of the day trying to scooch them back over to the correct box because she certainly knew her gender. And what was happening was just a series, as we can all know and understand, of microaggressions to who she was and what it meant and where she was willing to stand up and fight and where she wasn't and what a oppressive school system can do around those issues. So that day when Oprah and Janet Mock and I were together, you could also Google it. It's everywhere. Everyone really loved our conversation. Um, she basically did so much to help me have different and new language about being inclusive um, around transgender youth. And I can't even wait for her to come, you know, 
to meet me for the second time. Yeah. And you get to see, be with her again. Oh, yeah. Julie. Yeah. I bet she can't wait either, but anyway, that's, that's what's happening. <laughs> and so that alone is like just incredible. So if you're someone who's listening today and you're like, I definitely want to go, um, what we're asking people to do is dive into the old sandbox and learn what it looks like, what it's like, what's there. And then we're going to ask people to let us know if you're interested in a provincial wide access um, that we'd be happy to work with you on. And and to do that, folks, it's simply a matter of dropping a line uh, to, we have the ARPDC email address in the registration piece. And as soon as you're registered, that opens up that communication. Registration is free. Uh, ARPDC has covered the cost and, and uh, appreciate uh, Julie and Christy working on that uh, for this learning opportunity to be available to you for May and June uh, to explore. And then uh, as people identify that this is something they would like to explore more for the 2023 year, we basically want to build an Alberta cohort mm -hmm. that we can then uh, work out a, a price model that will work for that cohort by schools, by divisions, whatever the case may be, uh, so that we can get as many people from Alberta into it as possible. We've done a similar thing with a literacy piece this summer. There's a camp rewrite that's being done by a group of educators in, in English language arts and literature. And so we have the Alberta campground of camp rewrite. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that model and similar in this, you know, uh, we have people in our organization who have an uh, inclusive uh, lens to the work that we do. And with Camp Rewrite and the Alberta Campground, we intend to engage in conversations with the Alberta context, a couple of Alberta campfire mm -hmm. talks, if you will, uh, just extending the metaphor all the way through. You have to, uh, you have to. Hey, in for a penny, in for a pound. Right now in Alberta, unfortunately, we've got too many fires burning right now, and there's a province-wide uh, fire ban, but um, this is a whole different fire, being fired up about reading, being fired up about literacy. And we want to be, and I just fell into that, Charlie. That was pretty that was good. impressive. Eh? That yeah. was, I mean, can we just pause for a minute? That was, <laughs> I mean, do you do just this for a living? Kind of a, just your podcast, right? That's it? No, I, I know. I'm just teasing. But like that was a professional move. Is all I'm saying. But you love it when it comes together like that, right? Yeah, I was with Oprah in an episode as well recently. No, yeah, um, yeah. I understand. <laughs> Probably I thought Bruce. you looked familiar, Rick. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, me and me and Oprah and Bruce Perry, we were having a conversation, yes. and and we were going from there. Um, no, this is fantastic. It sets the table. Uh, we are certainly grateful to people uh, for listening to the podcast. Um, you know, friends and colleagues who are in BC and Saskatchewan and elsewhere, uh, you know, you can reach out to us as well. We, we, there is not a hard border uh, between our provinces in any way, shape or form. Um, you can go in the United States. You're certainly welcome to go to the Inclusive Schooling website and check it out. The um, Summer Leadership Institute is uh, subtitled, I think it's Metamorphosis, is it? It is. Yeah. Can we tell and you? Go ahead. Sorry, can we tell you how the uh, metamorphosis came to be? Because it relates to our conversation, how that particular, you talked about your campfire uh, theme. This is metamorphosis. And most of us are like, uh-huh, butterflies, we get it. However, it was Otto Lana who types to communicate. And he was at the Summer Leadership Institute and he would, people were talking about changing to be a more inclusive school system and how disorienting it is and how much resistance there is and how frustrating it is and how we're in the middle of it. And it's not, and Autolana types um, in the chat, he said, it's like the black box radio podcast um, called the goo in the middle. And I was like, what? And he said, oh, maybe you don't know, but every single caterpillar that turns into a butterfly spends some time in a cocoon. And when you scientifically study what's happening on the inside of the cocoon, you find out that it is no longer a caterpillar. It is not yet a butterfly. And it is something altogether different, which is the goo in the middle of the transition. 
And so um, he was saying, your school districts, your school systems are feeling frustrated because they're not yet a butterfly and they're also not any longer a caterpillar. And the work that we do is to help people transition to that place and space where they can take off and fly. Love it. That, that is that is beautiful. That's about as good a place as any to press pause on this conversation. And uh, we'll have this up uh, very, very quickly, early, early next week. Um, right after Canada has a long weekend coming up here on Monday. It's uh, Victoria Day. Mm. Still called that, isn't it, Charlie? Yeah, we like to hang on to our colonist roots for as long uh, yes. as possible. So, yes. so Queen Victoria. Mm-hmm. that uh, we're celebrating on Monday. So there we go. But it's a day off. and uh, But I anticipate that we'll have this up uh, on Tuesday because we want to get this out to division leads to listen to and uh, and uh, direct them towards the uh, sandbox link and all of those pieces. Um, and because, holy cow, there was a whole bunch of books you should uh, check out at the very beginning of this uh, tremendous conversation. So we are grateful. We I would add as well um, that when you listen to this podcast, it was recorded on the day of our first Q&A uh, block that we are engaging in uh, today in about a half hour uh, with those who have registered to explore the Alberta Sandbox already. Uh, and um, we will have one more of those. Uh, the date on that? June 20th. Oh, way to go, Christy. On June 20th will be our second Q&A opportunity for people. And, and uh, we're certainly excited about the people who have already registered in the short time we've had this available. We recognize that most of those will be system leads or school leads. It's, it's certainly not restricted to that. And uh, we will be back uh, with another Q&A with Christy and Julie on June 20th uh, as well. And then... On we go with the learning, and certainly uh, ARPDC is very grateful to Christy and Julie for their work and their availability. And yes, indeed, there's great online things, but there's also the opportunity to bring them virtually or maybe even in person on occasion into our lovely province to work with the amazing teachers that we have we uh, that. in Alberta. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you very much for joining us on this uh, episode of uh, Reading Across the Curriculum. Thank you for including ARPDC. us.